forever. Dog. Hi, Anna. Hi, Andrew. And hey, everybody else. And welcome to our podcast. Scary Scary Stories stories to to Tell on the the Pod. pod. It is a funny podcast about (laughs) scary ghosts. Wow. I mean, mean, put that on merch, you know? The pith. The pith. (laughs) The pith Um, is the source of pith. And not, Andrew, not a lot of people know what the word pith means. And so... um, I guess the educational component of this will let everyone know pith is the word piss with a lisp. Wow. Anna, I had never even put together that pithy and pith. (laughs) Now all I can hear, now all I can hear me saying piss and pissy. Um, Pithy. That they're they're the same root word and that the pith of of citrus is kind of the bitter part, right? Is pith bitter? I guess I don't know what pith means. I thought it meant like quippy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And at first I thought you did say Quibi. And I was like, our sponsor, Quibi. Everybody tune (laughs) into nothing. They're not a company anymore, but they are our sponsor. (laughs) We're on nothing. Anna, Um, it's so good to be back in the studio with you again. I've given my wife leave to run around with the neighborhood while I'm off (laughs) on a business trip. And we're both fine with it. Oh my gosh! Um, so much yeah, has happened. Everyone, you've fallen in love with your your dad's new girlfriends um, <laughs> over the last few weeks. I've missed you all. Well, we're all so happy you, to have you back, Anna. You Polish arm warmer knitters and the you know sticker sticker freaks of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> sticker freak, you sticker freaks. God. Oh wow! Sticker freak means urine. I was just watching. Um, that Vice documentary series of what's called like the dark side of the nineties. Oh. And um there was one about grunge culture, and basically they were like, as soon as grunge caught on, um, music producers and like agents from Hollywood would like go to see any band that was just like a an adjective and a noun. And they were like, oh. that sounds great. Well, Andrew, what would your what would your band be called? Or think, think come up with a, an adjective noun. Three, two, one, go. A grizzly pear. <gasps> that's a bar in New York where I ran a show. Is it really? Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Do I own this bar? <laughs> you do. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, now it's your turn, Anna. Adjective noun. One, two, three. Brown pear. <laughs> <laughs> God, there's no one in the audience. No, truly. Yeah, <laughs> I just, bite oh. the head off a dove and to nothing. The bartender's just like washing dishes. Yeah. A folding chair falls over. <laughs> <laughs> then they all fall. Uh, scary. Because scary. a ghost pushed it and the ghost pushed it while and farting. We're and back that's, to and it's funny. Spooky. Yes. Um, Anna, it is the October season. It is the time. It is, <laughs> it is high spooky time. It is finally the season of October. <laughs> it's true. And um, we're do you really think septem- ramping it up. Do you think September gets scared of October the way that six is afraid of seven? I think September is the Jan of the Brady family of months. Yeah. You know? 
Like it's stuck. Like it, it's neither here nor there. It's not. Okay. It's not summer. It's not fall. Everyone's got the fall wantsies, but September's not quite there. <laughs> the fall wantsies, Andrew. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and September's like I've got blonde hair too. You know, like I've got cute collars. What's what's the problem? Why don't you love me as much? It's like September. Stop asking for things. Just be. <laughs> let some people go to the beach and some people put boots on. It's fine. Exactly. But um, it's October. It's October. Uh, we are back to telling some scarty storties. Um, and Anna, the one I've got today, we've been putting off for a very long time, largely yes. for good reason. Because um, it's um, and it's that yeah. feeling, you know. It it is that feeling. We Anna and I have have reached it. It's like that scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where he's rescuing all the animals from the burning pet shop, and he keeps running by. Uh, the snakes in a tank, and he's like, "I'm gonna get to you, but it's just a lot to handle right now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we got this email from a gentle listener uh, who is a dear friend of the pod, uh, and it inspired me to do some research into what is a problematic story that hopefully we can help unpack and maybe come out better uh, people for it. Yes. Uh, so I've this, been meaning to become a better people. <laughs> that has been on my calendar, Anna. Keep moving Since it. birth. I'm hitting snooze, but not anymore. <laughs> uh, so the the subject of the email, Anna, is researching the Wendigo. Wow. Aloha. Uh, aloha, hey, Anna and Andrew. It's Kari from Hawaii again, coming Hello. in with some... Hey, Kari. It's yes. So you again. Uh, coming in with some more spooky research. I think if I write one more of these emails, I qualify for a moniker. If I do, can I request Spooky Teacher? Yes, Kari. Spooky Teacher of the Pod. Spooky Teacher of the Pod, Kari. Thank you so much. Um, I remember you both talking about how some of the stories from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark were kind of complicated to work with, and I had a suspicion that the Wendigo might be one of them. What with the overt racism and the sensationalization of Native American culture in it. And Kari... (laughs) You hit the dang nail on the head. I was born scared, Kari. (laughs) Uh, So I thought I'd see if I could help out in the only way I know. A ton of research. (laughs) (laughs) I did a deep dive. So this is a long email. Feel free to pick and choose whatever you find interesting. I read through Blackwood's version, which I believe is loosely what the story from Alvin Schwartz and Stephen Gamble's Scary Stories Tell in the Dark version is from. Uh, then dug up a bunch of academic articles on Wendigos. I tried to keep it short, but, well, insert whatever noise seems appropriate for when you've just resigned yourself to a particular harmless mania. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is Andrew speaking now. So, gentle uh, listeners, Anna, Kari, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this little precursor that Kari has put in, and then I'm going to read the story. We're going to go through this together. Then we're going to go through all of this really compelling. I know that the term research um, in the context of this podcast might seem like, oh, do Anna and Andrew know how to read this? Uh, we're going to see. But yeah. the research is very compelling. I definitely had a feeling I haven't had in so long. And the feeling is from in fourth grade where you know today is the sex talk day. <laughs> and you're like, no, I need this. I'm fucking scared. I'm not scared. You know, you just people you want to you want to do the right thing and you're stupid a little bit. So exactly. Exactly. Here we go. Here we go. Um, now. 
So here's this precursor, which I do think is very helpful in terms of the reading of the story. Okay. Regarding the racism, the Wendigo is based on a longer novella of the same name. And in the novella, DeFago, who is a character we're about to read, isn't an Indian who needed money badly, in quotations, but a likely white French-Canadian guide. So if you're looking for a replacement phrase, French-Canadian guide, Canadian guide, or even just guide would probably do the trick. And I do think I am just going to say guide because otherwise it is like distractingly weird in the story in this day and age and probably for a long time. We could do what we do in stories where dogs die and just replace the word dog with landlord. Landlord. <laughs> I think the landlord yeah. guide. No, no, I no. Think, I, <laughs> that, <laughs> not, not a bad idea. He, he found a landlord. <laughs> um, One was okay. hanging around. He needed money bad. <laughs> It's fine. That is true. That is a much more accurate depiction of this character. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, everybody. So it, it, this is a much requested story. We're finally dishing it up on this October in the year of our butt, 2021. <laughs> a wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada where few people had ever hunted. He traveled to a trading post and tried to find a landlord to take him. But no one would do it. It was too dangerous, they said. Finally, he found a landlord who needed money badly, and he agreed to take him. The landlord's name was DeFago. <laughs> Definitely had a landlord named DeFago. <laughs> they made camp in the snow near a large frozen lake. For three days they hunted, but they had nothing to show for it. The third night, a windstorm came up. They lay in their tent, listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened the tent flap. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stirring, and the trees were standing perfectly still. Yet he could hear the wind howling. And the more he listened, the more it sounded as if it were calling DeFago's name. DeFago, it called. DeFago. I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. But DeFago had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's this all about, the hunter asked. It's nothing, DeFago said. But the wind continued to call him, and DeFago became more and more tense and restless. DeFago, it called. DeFago. Suddenly, he jumped to his feet, and he began to run from the tent, but the hunter grabbed him and wrestled him to the ground. You can't leave me here, the hunter shouted. Then the wind called again, and DeFago broke loose and ran out into the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Again and again he cried, Oh, my fiery feet, my burning feet of fire. Then his voice faded away, and the wind died down. At daybreak, the hunter followed DeFago's tracks in the snow. They went through the woods, down toward the lake, then out onto the ice. But soon, he noticed something strange. The steps DeFago had taken got longer and longer. They were so long, no human being could have taken them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out into the middle of the lake, but there... They disappeared. At first, he thought that Tefago had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. 
Then he thought that something had pulled off the ice. Then he thought something had pulled him off the ice into the sky. But that made no sense. As he stood wondering what had happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling as it had the night before. Then he heard Defago's voice. It was coming from up above, and again he heard Defago screaming, My fiery feet! My burning feet! But there was nothing to be seen. Now the hunter wanted to leave that place as fast as he could. He went back to camp and packed. Then he left some food for Defago, and he started out. Weeks later, he reached civilization. The following year, he went back to hunt in that area again. He went to the same trading post to look for a guide. The people there could not explain what had happened to Defago that night, but they had not seen him since then. Maybe it was the wind ago, one of them said, and he laughed. It's supposed to come with the wind. It drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away, and more of you than that. Then it carries you into the sky, and it drops you. It's just a crazy story, but that's what some of the landlords say. A few days later, the hunter was at the trading post again. A landlord came in and sat by the fire. He had a blanket wrapped around him, and he wore his hat so that you couldn't see his face. The hunter thought there was something familiar about him. He walked over and asked, Are you Defago? The landlord didn't answer. Do you know anything about him? No answer. He began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you all right? he asked. No answer. To get a look at him, he lifted the landlord's hat. Then he screamed. There was nothing under the hat but a pile of ashes. <gasps> that the could happen. That could happen. Oh Anna. Andrew, this story is a thousand times scarier than I remember it. Agreed. And it's full of specificity. Yes. The, oh my God, there's so much here. Yeah. And it's such a bummer. It's such a bummer that um, it incorporates so many uh, uh, rough stereotypes. <laughs> are... Should we, should we walk through what the stereotypes are? Just to... Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, and we'll get, we'll get into Kari's really excellent research. Um, so the basic kind of thing of this is like, there's this, first of all, this kind of, um, exotification of indigenous peoples that has lasted mm -hmm. uh, just about as long as uh, European people came <laughs> to this country um, by making them seem mysterious and somehow not uh, as human as anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and also this idea that, um, uh, that a guide that you would find is somehow like more expendable in a scary story than a, yes. a protagonist. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. The like, it's that Indiana Jones thing. Yes. Um, where it's like, oh, like a there was just a massacre. We're gonna like keep talking about the kissing people. Uh, like, <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, the like, oh, they're all superstitious. Is like. Right. A yeah. little weird. Like I get the like a fish out of water is a really fun trope to play on, but like um yeah, the expendability and the like, oh, they have a stupid little idea. Right. Um and that's like <laughs> that's if 
that's also if the the indigenous legend of the Wendigo was um, taken and used in a way that was at the very least accurate. Um, this incarnation of the Wendigo is is virtually unrecognizable to its various forms in uh, in actual indigenous lore. Yeah, I'm excited to hear the the research that we have from the spooky teacher of the pod. Uh, Kari Clements. Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, the thing is, like, what is very evocative and effective about this story is uh, it is unusual to imagine a scary creature that does something so specific to you, like drags you along the surface of snow for so long that the friction creates heat to the point that your legs and body catch on fire and then you turn into animate ashes. <laughs> you gotta. Very um, specific. I know. Yeah. Thing, it introduces a new thing. To, it's like Shark Tank. It introduces a new thing that you didn't know you needed, dot, 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 to be scared of. Yes. And and this is part of a, a really long tradition of uh, largely um, European-descended people um, taking a culture's ghost stories or um, creatures or religions and to some extent – Mm-hmm. And um, turning them into like fodder for a fun ghost story, <laughs> yeah. just for uh, variety, right? It's it's like in addition to being insensitive and harmful, it's also really lazy, you know. Um, and uh, and this story like could have been just as fine without the like unnecessary exotification. Like, just make it a monster you've made up, since that's what this storyteller appears to be doing anyway. <laughs> yep. Um. So let's jump in to. Kari's research. Regarding representing Native American cultural concepts, the Wendigo slash Windigo slash Windigo slash Widigo functions differently for different groups, but is usually something monstrous. I have included some takes from Native American writers later on for different perspectives if you want to see how well Schwartz's version lines up with them. That's so helpful, Kari. Thank you. So, uh, in the sources section of Scary Stories Tell in the Dark, Alvin Schwartz talks about hearing this as a campfire story from Professor Edward M. Ives. It looks like Ives' version is a condensed version of an older novella by Algernon Blackwood. That name, good lord. I mean, tell me you're a colonizer without telling me you're a colonizer. (laughs) (laughs) My father built this tree. That, yeah, that name just asked me like, oh, you're wearing your work shoes to dinner? <laughs> You've just lost an athletic competition and you're having your butler spank the competition or something? <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with Blackwood, think of him as the English version of H.P. Lovecraft, just slightly less racist. Boy, okay, that good. is that is um, uh, not hard to do, to be <laughs> yeah. less racist than H.P. Lovecraft. Um though still kind of racist in that European guy in the late 1800s slash early 1900s way, Blackwood as a person was really open to some other cultures, particularly Eastern philosophy. But the Wendigo is not great on race, particularly in regards to Native Americans. Uh, In particular, writer Joe Nazare says that Blackwood's stories, subtly demonizing rhetoric transforms the Wendigo from a Native myth into a descriptive template for the Indian savage, which is really rough. Um, and yeah, there's just a whole lot of that in a lot of like really beloved American stories. And certainly that extends to a lot of beloved English stories as well. I wasn't surprised to hear that Alvin Schwartz, uh, had heard this story at a campfire because I yes. think there's like a huge culture of like, uh, American campfire stories that are like, 
And Native American is just a a color. Or it's a thing we've made up. It's yeah. a theme. Um, and like there's a lot of playing it fast and loose there. And very often it's under the auspices of like some vague reverence for mm-hmm. the, you know, but, but at the same time, it's like functionally, it does nothing good to help uh, fix a lot of the problems that we have created over the several centuries past. Yeah. Um, really. For indigenous people. It does just function as like a party theme. Right. Um, which is a, and like a self-soothing thing. Yes. Which is yeah, like, like, see? Yeah. Um, Okay. We're helping. So, we're helping. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's the equivalent of like putting a ribbon on your door and but then yep. never donating money or ever speaking up. My door is um, covered in ribbons. <laughs> it's a horse. But just decorative ribbons. Gorgeous ones. Um, so for context, Blackwood's version is longer. It's a nine-part novella How? with a much larger cast. That's not a novella, that's long. <laughs> Sir. Sir, you've um, written a book. That's a miniseries at best. <laughs> Schwartz's version has two characters, the wealthy man and DeFago, while Blackwood's includes a number of characters named Dr. Cathcart, his divinity school nephew Simpson, <laughs> Hank Davis, DeFago, and a Native American cook named Punk. <laughs> Tag yourself. I'm the nephew. What we was the nephew's name again? Simpson. <laughs> we are all his divinity school nephew, Simpson. I very much identify as that. Oh, my God. As near as I can tell, most of Schwartz's version comes from part four and five of Blackwood's novella, where the DeFago and the burning feet lines come from. Yeah, that the burning feet line is kind of lyrical and strange, isn't it, Anna? Yes. I remember as a child hearing that and being like, this is literally art. Oh, my burning feet of fire. Yeah. Fiery feet. Um, but it has a completely different ending. The wealthy man of Schwartz's version is narratively the young divinity school nephew, Simpson. And DeFago is, well, just DeFago. <laughs> Interestingly, in Blackwood's version, DeFago isn't Native American, but a Canadian guide. And he's kind of noticeably not labeled as Native American, but Punk, the cook, is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a crush on Punk, the cook. I'll admit it already. I think we all do. Um, also, there's a lot of weird, casual racism floating around in Blackwood's story. I'm not sure why Schwartz threw the weird Indian descriptor in his version. It's possible that that's just the way he heard it from Ives, which I really think is probably the case, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it feels like a thing. Because again, it's like I've definitely regurgitated stories I've read at campfires and messed all the details up. Um, Certainly. And I feel like that might have happened here. Oh, Anna, okay. Blackwood's version is scarier. Alvin Schwartz doesn't include what I think is the scariest part of Blackwood's story. In it, after DeFago is carried off by the Wendigo, Simpson, the Divinity School student, searches for him before heading back to camp. Later that night, after he recovers and tells his story to the others, something falls from the sky, and DeFago shambles into camp. Or at least... It's something that looks like DeFago. Scary. It moves jerkily like a puppet on strings, leans in too close to talk to people, and looks like a bad parody of DeFago, with sagging skin and feet that are not described but very clearly wrong. When confronted, <laughs> <laughs> that is very funny. Those are just wrong. That is a burn. That is an absolute burn. Feet wrong. <laughs> 
is devastating. (laughs) (laughs) If that's all she said when the library was open, she'd be gone. (laughs) It's true. Um, When confronted about it, a great wind roars up and the not DeFago stumbles back into the woods. The next day, another DeFago, probably the real one, returns. This one emaciated and mindless. He follows commands but can't speak or eat or recognize anyone. That's me except for being unable to eat. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, that's totally, wait, nope. (laughs) (laughs) He lingers for a few weeks before passing away. Oh. Wait, so a different imposter? I, so I think it's that the the puppet one was the Wendigo. And okay. then actual DeFago comes back and like the Wendigo was like puppeting his body. Oh, scary. Isn't that scary? That's scary to me. That is scary to me. I'm Samson. I'm going to school for de- Divinity. church. Can you imagine? I, I mean, I guess you and I both probably can't imagine going to school for divinity. <laughs> What exactly is that different from like theology? What is I think it I think it means you're getting your masters in theology and sometimes that can lead you to becoming a reverend or a pastor or a religious leader or going hunting with your uncle? Exactly, yeah. Ooh. That I, oh my god. That's honestly Anna, a uh, brief brief reprieve here. Um going hunting with your uncle feels like one time my uncle who I love very much uh did invite me to go on a silent retreat which I was very oh. tempted to do. And, and one day I might just because I'm curious about it. Um, but in my head, it would function a lot like the story of the Wendigo. Wow. I would end up, I would end up a pile of ashes. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's moving around jerkily. <laughs> I think he misses his phone. <laughs> also, Anna, probably as we're, as we're um, taking this little break, what is, are you able to see the um, the illustration? We should probably talk about Stephen Gamble's illustration here. Oh, it's so scary. Yeah, tell us what we're looking at here, Anna. Andrew, listen, I wish it weren't the case, but we're looking at a scary drawing. Mm. It's um, a snowy field. Yes. With some spooky sort of, like if Bob Ross were, were, were fucked up. <laughs> there, it's not a happy tree this is a spooky tree (laughs) on the right side and then some like shadow off in the left and some brush it's like it's a clearing and you see some spooky footprints that lead off into nothingness and then there's like a foggy scary sky it definitely seems like um it could be the spooky adjacent poster version of the like christian story about like a man was walking on the beach (laughs) That is exactly what I was thinking. That is this. But it's just like, instead, it's like the Wendigo's like, I was walking beside you the whole time. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. I was above you flying and burning your feet off. That's why there was only one set of, why did you abandon me? I didn't abandon you. I burned your feet off. Our Wendigo is an awesome beast. He burned my legs (laughs) off completely. (laughs) Hey, gentle listeners. So. That's part one of our Wendigo episode, but join us again on Friday for part two, where we'll be sharing more exciting and illuminating intel on Wendigo lore, and of course, some very scary ideas for things that could happen. In the meantime, please try to avoid thoughts of cannibalism and uh, get out forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Scary Stories to Tell on the Pod is executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, 
and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Tracy Soren. Original theme music by Chris Ryan. Cover art by Bats Langley. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash team. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news.